This week, Republicans and Democrats are fighting over the $1 trillion infrastructure bill. The eviction moratorium faces millions of Americans as Democrats play the blame game. And McCarthy and Pelosi are at each other's throats after Kev says he wants to hit Pelosi's head with the speaker's gavel. My name's Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome to another week. Um, this, well, actually, before I begin, I'm going to tell you about some other stuff. First, I want to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And make sure to support the show through my merch, my books, and, yeah, my merch and my books in the shop section of my website, or subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube and follow the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen on. I'm, I'm pulling this a little closer to my face just to be safe. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, actually, I'm going to make it farther away, because as I spoke louder, it seemed to be fine. S uh, about the merch, I ordered, and it came in yesterday, the joggers. This is just one of the items you can get on the show. It's just plain joggers with the logo on the leg. It's simplistic, but it's nice. And um, the place it's coming through, Teespring, is actually very good. Um, they are a bit on the pricier side. They charge a little bit more in, um, in like taxes and such, but it's for a very good product. I mean, at the, like nothing about it is cheap. It's premium quality, uh, uh, like materials in the actual clothing. The design always comes out looking fantastic and stuff like the logos on the shirts. Um, they, it's never like cheap stuff that like will come out in the wash, um, Believe it or not, I've actually experienced that with other merch, other merchandise designers. Um, so I very much enjoy it. And it's, it's, I wore these last night actually to bed. It's very comfortable stuff. At least these joggers are. And I'm, I'm expecting a shirt to come in soon. So I'll have to show that off whenever it comes in. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in supporting the show and you uh, want to show off some fun merch, which it's it's two stuff it's the this is why people hate you shirt and the regular logo shirt um plus a pillow and a, a, a thing a water thing and all it's all sorts of cool stuff that'll show up on screen um and i'll show some pictures of the actual shop um so yeah if you're interested in supporting the show and you want some comfortable premium quality merch to wear um you can go to the shop section of my website and that's also where my books are located if you're interested in purchasing or reading some of those um, thank you so much for doing so. And again, if you're not interested in doing any of that stuff, you don't want to spend any money, you can subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube for free. Just search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey or search it up on wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or something like that. Um, and make sure to review the show, actually, to leave a review if it's possible. Um, just because I think it'd be nice uh, to get the show out there a little bit more um, for people that would be interested in listening to it. So thank you very much for doing that. 
Our first piece of news is the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, labeled as the bipartisan infrastructure bill, because there is a $3.5 trillion Democrat-only infrastructure bill that's likely to follow right after if it fails, or even if it does succeed. Um, and the, However, though, despite the name being bipartisan, nothing about the discussion around this infrastructure bill is bipartisan at all. And I'll explain that after I read this piece from uh, Reuters. So the U.S. Senate will try to complete work this week on a $1 trillion infrastructure investment bill that would bring long-awaited improvements to roads, bridges, and mass transit systems, even as some Republicans begin complaining about the details. Following long weekend sessions, senators on Monday began voting on amendments to the 2,702-page bill. But battles were already shaping up. Republican Senator Pat Toomey said in a statement that the bill's proposed tax reporting regime for cryptocurrencies was overly broad and unworkable. He said the plans... Er, excuse me. Yeah, he said he plans to offer an amendment to change it. Congress's Joint Committee on Taxation estimates the provision would raise $28 billion in new revenue over 10 years, which is important to lawmakers' goals of paying for the costs of the infrastructure bill, which is, like we said, a lot. Quote, Congress should not rush forward with this hastily designed tax reporting regime for cryptocurrency, especially without a full understanding of the consequences, Toomey said in an emailed statement. Senate leaders were trying to reach a deal on the number of amendments that would put, be put to votes as the chamber's 100 senators were eager to begin as uh, begin in August, August recess. The legislation, if enacted, would be the largest U.S. infrastructure investment in decades. Its passage would mark a major win for President Joe Biden, a Democrat, and the deeply divided Congress. It would become... It would come on the heels of a $1.9 trillion economic stimulus and coronavirus aid bill that was enacted earlier this year without Republican support. The measure would include $550 billion in new spending for over five items such as roads, rail, electric vehicle charging stations, and replacing lead water pipes on top of a $450, $450 billion uh, in, previously, in previously approved funds. Um, excuse me, I lost my place. It is a range. Its wide-ranging provision provisions include 343 billion for improvements on highways, highway bridges, and related projects. 48.4 billion to make drinking water and water infrastructure safer. 7.5 billion to help construct electric vehicle charging stations, far below what Biden had sought. And 350 million in over five years for reducing vehicle collisions with wire wildfire. The bill would provide grants for wildfire crossing structures, wildlife crossing structures. The Joint Committee on Taxation, the nonpartisan research arm of the U.S. Congress, projected tax provisions of the bipartisan Senate infrastructure bill would increase federal revenue by $51 billion over 10 years. While the $1 trillion dollar bill represents a large investment, the American Society of Civil Engineers estimates that over the next two decades, the United States needs to spend about $13 trillion to upgrade aging public works projects that they have graded in a a C minus level um, currently. Um, the group said its 2021 assessments uh, that there is $5.6 trillion gap between infrastructure funding that is needed and what is being planned across the country. So, first of all, I guess would we say I support the bill is the first question I feel like I should answer. And I feel like my answer is yes. I've been slowly but surely kind of picking up pieces of the legislation because whenever there's important legislation like this, like this, I've started developing a habit on purpose to find that legislation myself and read it as best I can. Reading legislature, I found, is incredibly important to trying to actually understand what that legislation does. What Republican and Democratic senators, more so the demagogue, the demagogues, 
in, in Congress want Americans to do is rely on their definition of the bill, whether it be true or not, so that they'll believe whatever they need them to believe. I've said this before. Excuse me, I've got something in, like, in my mouth swirling around as I talk. I've said this before, and I've said this many times, and I'm sure I'll say it many times again in the future. Uh, Republican and Democrat, Republicans and Democrats, by and large, at least on an institutional basis, maybe not necessarily, you know, uh, completely, because I'm speaking in part in hyperbole here, but by and large, very many Republican and Democratic uh, Congress people, um, and even Republican and Democratic presidents, understand a very, I feel like they understand a very important truth about American intellectualism being that it's frankly non-existent. And that's not to say we're stupid, which I've said before, and I, I regret saying it now, because it's that's more of an insult, and while that does do a good job of catching people's attention, if you're not able to explain the real point of, the real, um, yeah, point you're trying to make there, all you've done is upset people. But when it comes to our intellectual, I suppose just integrity, when it comes to our educational and intellectual integrity, I'd say it's nearly non-existent. Um, I've said this before, the public education system to me is a 17th century innovation poorly adapting to 21st century academia. And I feel that it's very important that educational uh, reform should be a big ticket item that our Congress focuses on if we want to create a more uh, enlightened and I hate using the word enlightened, believe it or not. I use it a lot, but I don't really like because it sounds like uh, it sounds uh, snooty almost. It's it's it 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 it's, uh, it. I I was gonna say presumes. It it what is the word? It insists upon itself basically. What I really mean in that is that our society, by and large, is not as intellectually adept as we may think we are. And I don't really know how intellectually adept Americans think they are. Um, I have this saying where, however smart you think you are, assume you're at least 10% dumber than that, because that's going to be a more accurate representation of just... And when it comes to being smart, of course, there are many philosophical and technical terms of defining that. But I mean in a basic sense of, in our political discourse, you find a, a current sense of intellectual disparity that exists in which... The, the people, we are heavily reluctant to go and do these types of hard intellectual thought, whether it be philosophy-wise or just cognitively-wise, on a fact-versus-lie fact basis. And Republicans and Democrats, by and large, I mean, ideologies in general rely on this to survive. The ideological predispositions of left and right-wing ideologies would not be so prevalent if, if people were smarter, by and large. And I really don't think we are, at least in America, if not the world, but especially in America. And so Democrats and Republicans in Congress rely on this, especially when it comes to these top-notch, not top-notch, but uh, uh, top, you know, key issues, key uh, bills, because they want Americans to rely on their perception of it. Um, and the issue with this bill that's coming up is the same issue that will come up likely and has come up with every single key issue bill that has ever faced the Senate or the House of Representatives, that has ever faced the Congress, and it's ideological delusion. See, Republicans and Democrats have a very strict understanding of what is right and what is wrong, and they are two completely different perceptions of those things. And when it comes to right and wrong, I don't mean morally per se, but when it comes to policy, for example, 
they have very specific ideas of what is right and what is wrong. Dan Crenshaw was on the Jordan Peterson podcast, um, I, I think maybe four days ago. And I listened to this piece from it where he kind of defends the conservative argument, at least in his view. And the way he put it, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember exactly, but I, I did like his description of it. The way he described it was, in a sense, conservatives actually believe in very many of the prog of these so-called progressive things and moving into the future and things like climate change and justice and racial justice, etc. But, and he, again, I'm paraphrasing, he put it in the sense that he's like, we conservatives believe in a more pragmatic response. Pragmatic is the word he did use. I do remember that. And I hear that often with conservatives. Conservatives often say about themselves, at least conservative talking heads, often say about themselves, I'm moving my hand a lot right now. <laughs> conservatives often say about themselves, we're the more pragmatic option. We believe in very many of the same things that our opposition does, but our opposition believes in reactionary politics being involved in the situation. We believe in an intellectual pragmatic response to the situations we face. And while I do actually, I see the, the logic behind that, and I can, I can certainly tell you this, when I considered myself conservative, I certainly thought I was more of a pragmatic individual. And that's actually something I pride myself on right now, is trying to be more of a pragmatical, pragmatic individual when it comes to my reaction to certain things. And when it comes to how I would want the issue to be solved, I do believe in pragmatism as, uh, to a certain extent. However, often I find Republicans in Congress and conservatives in Congress and just the, the way they treat policy, it is, to a sense, pragmatic, but there's a point in which the pragmatism seems almost ludicrous. If that Not lud ludicrous isn't the right word, excuse me. Not ludicrous, but, um, I don't know, ridiculous? Ridiculously pragmatic? And I know you, what you might be saying, especially if you're a more conservative listener, um, which I would, I would hope to God my podcast has more than just conservative or just liberal listeners. <laughs> um, to be fair, it may have no listeners at all, because <laughs> a lot of the time I talk about why I don't like anyone, at least their ideologies. Um, but if you're a more conservative listener, you may be think, saying to, to yourself or to me, I suppose, what do you mean too pragmatic? How can something be like... Wait, like, how can something be too pragmatic to a center or ridiculously pragmatic? What is that supposed to mean? What are you saying there? And I think there's, a, I think there is points in which conservatives get ridiculously pragmatic in some of their responses to the things that are happening, or to policy updates, I should say, policy, uh, policy situations, in the sense that the pragmatism doesn't actually help the issue. And I feel like I'm kind of tiptoeing around the meat and the meat and veg the what's the phrase meat and vegetable meat meat and potatoes the meat and potatoes of the point I'm making here the meat and potatoes of the point I'm making here is that there's a point in which conservative pragmatism doesn't help what it's help the situation it's contributing to there's a point in which saying inflation 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 doesn't help the situation you're afflicting so so in it for instance. What I'm hearing from many conservatives, such as Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Dan Crenshaw and Madison Cawthorn, I'm hearing two things. One, actually three technically. One, all this does is inflation because it's such a high price tag. Two, payment. Actually, four things because you could say three, debt. Or you could include those things in one, which is basically the money, the pragmatism side. So it's like one, it's the pragmatic, oh, this is going to, this is going to, yeah, boost inflation. It's gonna, 
dig us our debt hole even bigger, which is an issue I actually care about. That is something I've always agreed with the Republican side on, with the conservatives on, is that debt needs to be taken care of. And I know that's a that's something that I don't ever think I'll see in my lifetime, but that's something that should and does need to be addressed. Or And three, um, inflation, debt, and... Uh, oh, payment. How is this going to be afforded? And the issue is there are, there are very many conservatives... Like I read... Like, uh, what's his name? Toomey said... Uh, the ways Democrats are coming up to pay... Because the Democratic kind of idea, I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but the Democratic idea of how do we pay for these very large investments very often is, oh, don't worry, we'll find out something. It's never... There's never really... Like, they do know what they're going to start with They because there's always the basic um, resources Congress has to pay for the bills it passes and for the things that become law and all of those all of those types of things. But the issue I feel with Democrats is that very often when they have an idea and it does go to these such links as it has, because I feel like in this re in our current administration, both in Congress and the presidency, um, in the current administration, it's as if I feel everything's just more expensive now. I, I've never seen bills as expensive before. Uh, um, and so I suppose what I'm saying here is that with the price of our of our bills increasing, I, Democrats very often, their solution to how do we pay for this is, well, we've got what we've got already and we'll figure out the rest. And it's sort of a, we'll, we'll get to the payment part after we've done it. And there's points to which I can see the, the reasoning behind that because it's important issues. Um, because very many of the things in the bill that I was able to look, read myself and that I, that we figured out from, you know, people reporting on it and such, there are important things in here that are important to the infrastructure of the country. And those are things I very much believe need to be addressed, certainly. But I'm not sure if I'm a huge fan of the, we'll find out how to pay for it through these quick, uh, here's something that might work. Such as Toomey saying the, um, I have no idea what he was commenting on anymore. Also, that thing is still swirling around in my mouth, so I'm trying to, like, still move that out. What did Toomey say? Uh, uh, a tax reporting regime for cryptocurrency and stuff. So, oh, so tax, you know, tax reporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the idea with Democrats is it's sort of like a, we'll just work it out thing, whereas Republicans are so stressed about um, we can't spend so much that there's a point in which it, it, there's a point in which the Republican side costs us being able to affect these issues that affect the whole country by and large, in very massive ways, this infrastructure we're talking about, um, that they don't, they're so worried about the price tag that they let it go, and then the issue starts to fade into obscurity, and it becomes, that's why, I mean, this is a whole reason why people around the world mock our two-party system. One, I mean, America is the biggest, the most prevalent piece of proof that the two-party system just doesn't work. I mean, half the things they get done are a highly scaled-down version of things that could have been done and are... Excuse me. I finally got that thing that was swirling around in my mouth. So, half the things that get done are a highly scaled-down version of things that could have been done and end up not being as good as they could have. And two... Uh, 
it, it's highly partisan and it takes it's like we're talking sometimes things get caught in years of gridlock before ever getting passed and stuff like this is proof that the two-party system is such a coherent failure uh, such an incoherent failure eh, you could call it a coherent failure but that would be giving them too much credit the point is What's getting in the way of passing this is Democrats and Republicans being so sure that things have to go their way that they aren't willing to to give up some. Sometimes exactly what you want in your head is not what needs to come out in the end. I've learned that very often. Often exactly what I imagined something going or the or exactly the way I imagined something going Often I've learned that that shouldn't maybe necessarily be what exactly what to ha what needs to happen. That's what Democrats and Republicans, I feel, don't understand. Because they've convinced themselves so securely that if they don't get exactly what they thought and imagined in their head, uh, in terms of policy and other th such things, then it's an act of tyranny. They've convinced themselves so securely that I have to get exactly what I want or freedom is dead. And obviously that's a bit of hyperbole and only rely or only um, applies in a literal sense to certain issues. But they do believe this and the way they act and talk about each other when it comes to important bills, even such as infrastructure, Republicans and liberal or Republicans and um, Democrats, um, conservatives and liberals by and large, yes, though it they give off this vibe that they truly believe that they have to get exactly what they imagined they wanted in their head because they are all moral, all righteous. And the issue is you can never criticize. And this is what really upsets me the most about all of this. You can never criticize conservatives and liberals or, or Democrats and Republicans for their ideological impotence. Or, or, or for their for their internalization of delusions of supremacy in which tells them that they have to get exactly what they want in their head and not give up bits and pieces of it. Because whenever you try to, you either get blatant denial and cognitive dissonance or you get the stupid no you card thrown at you. Um, I've experienced that a lot when I try and explain to people who I feel are have internalized that delusion to a bit. I'll be like, I really feel like you're internalizing a sense of delusion and I get the no, you are. And I say, and, I, and I'm never able to explain fully, no, I don't think you understand. This is an assessment based on the way you talk and the way you act and such other such things um, because often those conversations end shortly. And that's a, that's a whole different issue about social media and the ability to just shut off anything you disagree with. Um, but the point is, it's that delusion that they have to get exactly what they want. For example... Uh, conservatives and Republicans by and large are saying that the infrastructure bill isn't even an infrastructure bill. They're saying it's a liberal wish list. Now, there are plenty of bills that are painted out as one thing that I can say are Democratic or Republican wish lists. I said this about um, the, the, For the, People, the For the People Act because there was so much in that thing that had nothing to do... Actually, there wasn't even that much. There, it was a chunk of it that didn't have much to do with voting rights and such. That I thought this maybe might need to be its own thing or you need to just get rid of it and never and not worry about it. Whereas based on what I've been reading and what I've been seeing either from the bill's text itself or from ex explanations of the bill from multiple media sites. 
I don't see this liberal wish list that conservatives are fear-mongering about. I don't see it. I see the bits and pieces where it's like, oh, that's okay. That's kind of weird to be in there. But even then, compared to the bits and pieces of the For the People Act that I felt were more Democratic wish lists and less voting rights, even the things that were more obscure in this bill still had a bit of a connection to the actual infrastructure pieces in the bill than per se the obscure pieces of the For the People Act had to the actual um, the body of the For the People Act itself. And so I feel that Republicans and Democrats, again, so so securely believe, no, excuse me, so securely tied down in this delusion that I have to get what I want, otherwise people are going to get hurt, or otherwise democracy is dead, or freedom, or something like that. Whatever they choose to believe will go wrong if they don't get exactly what they want. They, they, they because they believe that this infrastructure bill is going to hit a huge pro a huge wall. And another issue following it, and I know I've been ranting on about this already for so for quite some time. Another issue with it is the mere fact that um, the mere fact that the bill is facing um, it is follow is being followed by what really is a democratic wish list. They call it, it's they they describe the contents as human infrastructure, and I have not read that one, so I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. But based on some of the assess assessments I've heard from politicians, from media sites, I've read one or two as of late. Um, it puts a bad it, it puts a bad uh, image behind it. It puts this image of Democrats going, we want bipartisanship, except if if it doesn't work, we're just going to do what we want and nobody can stop us, which puts a really awful image. But obviously, Democrats and Republicans don't care. They only care about reaffirming what they want to believe about the world and anyone that tries to criticize them, shutting those people up. Um, so that's kind of what's going on with this thing. Have I been going on almost yeah, like a very quite some time on this one issue, but it's important. It's important. So I think it's important to, to talk about it in such a sense. Uh, so the eviction moratorium faced millions of Americans as Democrats played the game, the game, the name, the, the blame game. Gosh, the, the name game, the blame game, the game game. Um, obviously, the CDC has since uh, extended the um, the eviction ban. But this is, I think, the more important part of this. So. Millions of household full, many millions of households faced eviction over the next months when lawmakers are on their annual August recess and have some predicted full-blown eviction crisis. Just as surge in COVID cases from highly contagious Delta variant may be prompting renewed calls for people to stay at home and keep their distance. We only learned of this yesterday. Nancy Pelosi told reporters Friday evening, and the after the, this is last Friday evening, after the House tried and failed to pass legislation that would extend. Uh, eviction extend the federal eviction moratorium. There was not enough time to socialize it within our caucus as well as to build a consensus necessary, she said, with a promise from her top lieutenant to revisit the issue ASAP, probably after the break. Um, Pelosi was referring to the fact that the Biden administration only formally asked Congress to pass an eviction, an, an extension, excuse me, on Thursday, two days before the program expired. Um, uh, some White House officials made a late-stage push last week to re-examine the legal—an ad came up right in front of me as I was reading that—the legal potential for Joe Biden to extend the moratorium, but were told by administration lawyers it wasn't possible, according to people familiar with the deliberations. 
Um, and so Democrats kind of played the blame game with each other. Um, as the CDC ended up being the one that extended the ban. Um, and this is really kind of a, I feel this is kind of a battle between, There, there's a kind of battle arising in the Democratic Party between more liberal progressives and more moderate uh, Democrats. Um, and I th this kind of is a, had a hint of that in it. And I feel like this might be leading to more of a, an, a, a split between progressive Democrats and say, um, m moderate Democrats, um, being said radical Democrats and moderate Democrats, I suppose I could say as well, because we're actually seeing a split, a little bit of a tension within both parties. Whereas the radical Republicans and Democrats are pulling on both ends of their parties, while the moderate Republicans and Democrats are trying to hold the country down and uh, keep it from <laughs> falling apart. Um, this was just important to me, and I was actually going to talk about it last week, but ended up not because of that news about Trump coming out about the phone call and all that. Um, I was going to end up talking about this last week about the eviction moratorium. Just because I think it's important to note and keep mind of. Um, when it comes to who do you side with, the progressives or the moderates in this case of what's happening here, I think, I feel like the circumstances of the pandemic uh, really played or really um, play a part in my opinion here. Whereas I, I really do think the eviction moratorium and the ban should be extended. I feel like the government should have been a little more on top of that instead of waiting until two days before it expired to ask Congress to extend it, not giving them enough time, enough time to do that. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I'm glad it was extended just because I feel the circumstances of the pandemic give grounds for us to say, let's keep people home and let's keep people getting back up on their feet as, as, as job growth continues to go up, thankfully. As job growth grows up, grows up as vaccination goes up, I, I, the White House, I think, officially announced today, Friday the, the 6th, that 50% um, of the population is vaccinated. As, as vaccinations and job growth and all this grows up, I feel like it, and with this Delta variant coming out now, I think it's safe to... to hold everything in place and help and keep everyone and help keep everyone on their feet. So then when we can say at last, everything's good and we let go, it doesn't all come crumbling down on top of us. Now, of course there are now, there are issues with small time land, uh, landowners, small time landlords who are suddenly running out of money and can't afford to, pay their own rents and such. And I think that's an issue that does need to be faced potentially on a, on a case by case basis. And maybe that needs to play a part in our response to this eviction moratorium business. Um, but I feel, I feel like overall, I feel like overall, um, it was a good idea. And I think it's a good idea for the government to keep it kind of keep everything in place. Cause again, if we were to just let everything go as it was going to go and let everything fall, um, when, when things finally reopened and we tried to be like, oh, you can go now. I feel like every, everything would fall in on itself. I mean, could you imagine if millions of Americans suddenly had to leave and couldn't find a home? We're talking millions of homeless with a, a, a contagious, more deadly variant of the, of the virus we're trying to get over. 
it just wouldn't have worked out, I don't believe. And I think it was a safe move to do this. And I actually commend AOC, who I'm finding I actually agree with on very many issues, such as prisons, etc., and other such things. Um, I, I commend AOC for, for taking responsibility there and saying this is not something we can bl just blame Republicans for. And I have to say she's right. It really was the fault of the Democrats for slipping up there and not doing what needed to be done. Um, of course, there are Republicans on the sidelines shouting all sorts of interesting things, but at the end of the day, I, f I feel that's not worth giving attention to. And ultimately, I feel this was a good move that I, I feel is necessary until we can afford to let people kind of go out on their own, if that makes any sense at all. Um, our next piece of news is about Kevin McCarthy, who I'm just ecstatic to talk about. Um, <laughs> sarcasm. So, at a GOP... At a GOP congressional delegation, I guess, it was a dinner or something of that sort. Excuse me, my, my mouse is being dumb. At a GOP congressional dinner... McCarthy said he wanted to hit. He said in supposedly in a, in a in a in a supposed joke that he wanted to hit Nancy Pelosi in the head with the speaker's gavel. Um, so let me put it. Let me just go down here. So McCarthy spoke optimistically about Republicans retaking the House in 2022 and him becoming speaker. And when he added the GOP donors in attendance to join him, when he asked the GOP donors in attendance to join him in Washington so they could watch Pelosi hand him the gavel, the Washington Post's Michael Schurer reported on Twitter, quote, it will not be hard, it will be hard not to hit her with it, but I will bang it down, McCarthy reportedly said. Democrats cried foul over the reported joke, with some even calling for McCarthy's resignation. Um... McCarthy hasn't responded to the backlash, um, and the re the reported remark came just barely after Pelosi called Minority Leader uh, a moron last week for opposing the renewed mask mandate in the House. This isn't really that big of a deal anymore to me, but I thought it was important to, I thought, why not talk about it? Just because, to show, because you got to think that the Speaker of the House is one of the most powerful people in Washington, and we're talking the Speaker of the House and a potential Speaker of the House. Um, just the the way they're talking about each other really kind of highlights what I'm talking about when I say this delusion of ideological supremacy securing itself so foundationally in the beliefs and the actions and, and the actions and the words of these people in power. Not just people in power, but people who are... Uh, I mean, arguably the most power, the most powerful people in Washington and potentially and someone who could potentially become the next most powerful person in Washington. It really highlights to me the danger of these people's rhetoric. And they throw and here's the thing. I'm sure it was just some stupid joke, but at the end of the day, it is a stupid joke and not very funny of a joke. And it just goes to show to me that the the rhetoric and the nonsense and all this partisan delusion and all of these other such things is really going to play a, a negative part 
on the um, on the work that's trying to be done here. When we've got these people throwing around insults and 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 cruel jokes about about assaulting people, and it just goes to show a sense of that um, uh, of that political of that narcissism that these ideological and institutional political parties uh, really in, internalize in their members. Um, at least often, not always, but often in their members, the sense of internalized ideological supremacy, that sense of narcissism that is, in, that is, in, that is in, in, internalized by these members of these institutional political parties, it, sh it, it goes to show, I think, to me, just it's just a sign, I think, of how bad things are getting with how with the delusion of supremacy, with this no with this nonsensical notion that one of them has to be the winner and has to be right. Um, and it's just a I just thought it was interesting and stupid and just another piece of evidence in my ginormous artillery of why I think I'm right. Um, so that's all. Uh, quick reminder, I want to ask you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-U-I. In a way, H, that's at Huey Noah. Uh, I post personal updates and I respond to all sorts of things on the internet and stuff like that um, on there. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do that through my merch and uh, through my books in the shop section of my website. Or you can subscribe. If you don't want to do any of that because that costs money. Excuse me. If you don't want to do that because that costs money, you can subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube for free, or you can follow me on Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts. And I actually am going to ask you, if you can, leave a review um, so that uh, more people can discover it. And so we, I can see kind of some of the things that people are thinking. Reading the show again, this is an example of one of the merch pieces you can get. This is the uh, premium quality uh, joggers. Very comfortable. Very simplistic but stylish. Um, I think they're $40 uh, on my shop section. So if you're interested in wearing something like this, or if you simply would like to support the show or both, then feel, feel free to check out the, the shop section. It'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. We have learned uh, as of earlier this week that two more police officers who responded to the Capitol insurrection have died by suicide, making the total count four who have committed suicide since the um, insurrection. Quote, Officer Gunther Hashida, assigned to the emergency response team within Special Operations Division, was found deceased in his residence on Thursday, July 29th. Metropolitan Police Department spokesperson Kristen Metzger told CNN in a statement, this is from CNN, We are grieving as a department, and our thoughts and prayers are with Officer Hashida's family and friends, Metzger said. Metropolitan Police Officer Kyle uh, DeFritig was found dead on July 10th, according to the Department of the De Department Public Information Officer Sean Hickman. Hashida has joined the Metropolitan Police Department in 2003, and DeFritig had been with the department since November 2016. The deaths mark four known suicides by officers who responded to the Capitol during the attack and three known suicides by D.C. officers specifically. Metropolitan Police Officer Jeffrey Smith, a 12-year veteran of the force and a U.S. Capitol Police officer, 
Howard Liebengood, a 16-year Capitol Police veteran, also responded to the insurrection and later died by suicide. A recent Senate report into the security failures of the day lists both Smith and, and Liebengood among those who ultimately lost their lives following the attack. Um, and then Brian Sicknick is the one that died of natural causes after responding to the attack. Um, I, this is just important to me because while, of course, and I think it's important to know, there are very, very many things. One thing that I, I don't talk about often anymore these days is mental health is very important to me. And I feel the reason mental health is so is increasingly worse it feels in these recent generations is because of the, what I often talk about when I talk about the intellectualization of America, the enlightenment or whatever, is that because public education is poorly trying to adapt to 21st century academia, it the intellectual part of the human mind of public children, public school children's minds, the left brain, that sort of cognitive part of the brain is poorly adapted, leaving the right brain, that sort of emotional limbic part of your brain that, it, that processes things emotionally, to take all of the work. It now has to process things in an intellectual manner and in an emotional one, leading to emotional instability, which I think plays a part in, in much of the mental health crisis that is slowly revealing itself, and has been revealing itself for decades. Um... And if, so while there are many, many reasons why a person may commit suicide, it's it suffice for us to say that given these men's professions and the fact that they had to respond to the insurrection that day, there is there is uh, there's sufficient um, what's the word? There's sufficient um, not surface level, but like uh, it starts with a C and something ondent. C something ondent. I don't remember anymore. The words is completely escaping me. Um, there's certain basic, we'll say, because I can't think of the darn word, evidence that that may have played a part in it. And while that is pure speculation, meaning well, let's leave them at rest, it also highlights to me the fact that this was not, this just, this couldn't have been some kind of inside job thing. Oh yeah, so stressful to fake an attack on the Capitol. Like, and, and it, 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 it also is something to remember when you think about there are so many people that are still trying to live in a political denial of what happened that day. Um, because it threatens the integrity of their ideological and their intellectual and their moral superiority to everyone. But it's important to note because, I mean, police officers and, and, and law enforcement already have to face so many things on a daily basis that the human mind was not meant to face emotionally. So you take years of that or months of that, and then you put a, a violent armed insurrection right at the tail end of that. And it really highlights the... the just the the true effect that the insurrection had and has on the officers that responded on January 6th. And I think it's important we remember that and we really take that to heart because there are many people, like I said, still living in denial of what happened. And so long as they continue to live in denial, 
people continue to suffer and and their mental health continues to deteriorate um officer i think his officer for, i don't th- no no i think he's i don't remember if he count if he what his official position is fanone made clear he's still facing mental health issues because of what happened that day and I think it's important to remember that, one, because mental health needs to be talked about. It needs to be less of a taboo subject, gosh darn it. And, and two, it highlights the fact that this that there are people out there that are, are, disre- are being so blatantly disrespectful to the fact that this was an armed insurrection by pro-Trump voters and, and manipulated people who are angry and took out their anger on these people and now these people are paying the price for those people's ignorance and as a response to the manipulation they faced as Donald Trump supporters. Um, and it's just important to talk about, I think. But And I think that's more of a side note. I think it's actually more important to just focus on the fact that mental health needs to be talked about. We need to reach out to those that may be suffering. Because... Whether they're police officers or not, because everyone faces their own form of um, struggle, it's important to remember that the the resources exist to address the issues. There are, there are professionals out there that can help address these types of internal issues, and um, and I think I hope it puts a good spotlight on that kind of. On that kind of issue. Um, I'd like to say it's important to mention. If you or a loved one are contemplating suicide. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. At 1-800-273-8255. Or text TALK in all caps to 741741. Yeah, that's important to note. drink of water. My throat's killing me. I almost left my... I was drinking a cup of sweet tea before this and I almost left it in there. That would have been a terrible idea. Our final piece of news. The New York Attorney General has found evidence that says Andrew Cuomo... His name... That's Andrew, right? Yeah, Chris is the CNN host. Andrew Cuomo is guilty of sexually harassing I think 11 or 12 women, including state employees and has violated multiple state and federal laws. Democrats, Republicans, New Yorkers, North Carolinians, everyone is calling on him to resign and believes the very uh, convincing evidence before us. Everyone except Andrew Cuomo believes this. Let's explain. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed almost a dozen women, including employees in his office, and violated state and federal laws, according to the findings of an investigation by the state attorney general's office. The embattled governor denied the accusations and vowed that he would not be distracted from his job, but within hours of the report's release, Democratic leadership, including longtime Cuomo Alley President Joe Biden, demanded he step down. I think he should resign, Biden said. The investigation found that Cuomo sexually harassed 11 women, nine of whom are current and former state employees, and one of whom is a New York state trooper. None of them welcomed it, and all of them found it uncomfortable, New York Attorney General Letitia James told reporters Tuesday. In one case, he grabbed an executive assistant by the buttocks and groped her under her shirt, 
and he fondled the state trooper, the report found. The 165-page report also found the governor and his team retaliated against a former employee for coming forward and that they fostered a toxic work environment. In a statement, the Albany County, New York District Attorney's Office said it has an ongoing criminal investigation into Cuomo's conduct and they will be formally requesting investigative materials from the AG's office. Cuomo, in a video statement, again denied any wrongdoing and said he was issuing his own report to, quote, now share the truth, end quote. The facts are much different than has been portrayed, he said. I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. He suggested the report was tainted by bias and portrayed himself as a protector of women. For those who are using this moment to score political points or seek publicity or personal gain, I say they actually discredit the legitimate sexual harassment victims that the law has designed, was designed to protect, Cuomo said. He went on to say he would hire more trainers to prevent office harassment. I want New York state government to be a model of office behavior, and I brought in an expert to design a new sexual harassment policy and procedures and to train the whole team, myself included. Cuomo, a Democrat in his third term, has rebuffed calls to step down and repeatedly denied wrongdoing, initially predicting, predicting that the probe by James's office would exonerate him. It did the opposite. Um, first of all, having seen the report, it's I feel like the evidence is pretty much undeniable that he did it. Cuomo... I mean, unless it's just really convincing lies, like he's implying here, which, if he's right, then, geez, what great liars they have up there in, New in the New York Attorney General's office. Um, but, in terms of him not stepping down and denying all this, man, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, <laughs> it reminds me of Trump. <laughs> it reminds me of Donald Trump. And, I don't know, I... I, I I often do these amateur psycho psychoanalyses, and I always have to say I'm very amateurish. I, I've never studied it in my life. Well, I've never studied it from a class in my life, but I've read a lot about it in basically my whole life. Psychology is very, very fascinating to me. I'm hoping to... I forgot to turn off my phone. <laughs> I'm hoping to study it in the, in the future. Jeez, I'm dropping everything. It's very fascinating to me. I'm hoping to study in the future. And something you see in Trump and now in Cuomo here is there's a there's a sense of like narcissism or something. There's something there that really he he just cannot or does not want to believe he's capable of these kinds of actions. And even if he blatantly does them, he cares more about protecting himself than he does admitting the truth. And he will employ the most basic agents of cognitive dissonance he possibly can to ensure that his delusion is preserved, this delusion of his all-righteousness. And Cuomo, I think, is going to keep doing it. And what made it really awkward being that Chris, his brother, is a CNN anchor, on Chris's show, he didn't talk about it once in his 90-minute period. And the first thing Don Lemon talked about right after was Andrew Cuomo. The fact of the matter is, I believe, without a doubt, he was responsible for it. New Yorkers believe without a doubt he was responsible for it. Democrats believe without a doubt he was responsible for it. Republicans believe without a doubt he was responsible for it. And despite his policies with COVID-19, which, while he was way too good, way too um, bloaty about them, and not to mention 
there was there's all that um everything that happened with the nursing homes besides that type those types of things they weren't terrible policies and he certainly did know how to um portray that he was on top of things unlike Trump at the time when he was president however given the nursing home stuff and now given this and given his blatant denial of this reality it's very clear that he must step down otherwise he sets this example that these people in power will keep that power however which way they can but i think given this information it, it it's time for him to go to go home. Um, sexual harassment is not a light matter, and it's certainly not something you should lie about, especially if you're in a position of power. One of the survivors who, who came out earlier on was on, I think, MSNBC yesterday, no, day before, and said that about his video response, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, that was a load of crap. And it's just, like, it's... It's not an issue that should be taken lightly. Sexual harassment is not something that should be taken lightly in any sense. And when you're a person in power, it's very, very common for people to say, you know, people in power are going to try and take advantage of you and all those types of things. And people in power in the entertainment industry and in politics and business, so on and so on. And I think it's important that if, if you're accused of it and then information and investigation finds with you that you're responsible for it, you shouldn't double down especially when you said that information was going to exonerate you and say, oh, well, that was just not the real information. And I think Cuomo's actions highlight a sense of narcissism um, and personal delusion that, that need to be addressed. He's, I think he's wrong, and I think his response is wrong, and I think this really just degrades the treatment of it. And for him to imply that it's all politics, which naturally he would, Republicans and Democrats always rely on that whenever something comes out against them. Uh, people in power rely on that when something comes out against them. They, they, since they're in the political field, it's easy for them to, to come up with the convenient response of, oh, well, this was just political. Truth of the matter is, this was not political. No one in this is going to say, come up with these uh, complicated, detail-oriented stories of sexual assault and abuse by, by this powerful person. Someone who, in the, in the case of the state trooper, they're supposed to be protecting. You, you don't make up these kinds of stories for popularity or for clout or for political points. At the end of the day, these women came out very bravely against a very powerful and influential governor of their state for the things he did wrong. And for you to turn around and say, oh, they're just trying to play politics. What a low down crap move. That's a Donald Trump move right there. And I think it's it, that was sad. It was just sad. And so, yeah, certainly Cuomo needs to be resigned and he needs to go home. And shut up. And Chris needs to talk about it. That's a side note, but it was so awkward. And because the thing is, between Chris Chris Cuomo's show and Don Lemon's show, they like talk to each other. And so he's like, he sits for ninety minutes and doesn't ever mention his brother. That's like top headline news over the last two weeks. And he turns over to Don, and Don's like, "All right, see you around." Chris is like, "Yeah, see you around." And Don goes, "All right, Andrew Cuomo, he needs to leave." Like that's it's very awkward. And just a side note, Chris probably needs to acknowledge it just a little bit. I'd love to hear some comment from Chris. What's going on there? What's his whole... Because Chris is a very influential CNN anchor. 
He's one of the, I mean, Chris, Chris Cuomo is one of the most well-recognized journalists, anchors that I've ever seen in my life. So, uh, but point of the matter is Andrew needs to go home. Chris needs to acknowledge what's going on because this is important stuff. To be fair, though, since he's family, I guess him reporting on it, on it may lead to people. He could end up just being biased, but it's hard for him to do that when the facts are out now. So that's that. Thanks for listening for the show this week. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to follow my Instagram. That's at HueyNoah. That's at H-E-G-H-U-I-N-O-A-H. I post updates and stuff like that all the time about the show. Um, and I'm going to ask you to support my show through my merch and my books in the shop section of my website. Or if you don't want to pay any money, you can uh, support the show by subscribing to Under the Stars on YouTube and following me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to me. And uh, reviewing the podcast and spreading around and all that type of stuff. I'd love to, I'd love the show to extend or to be spread around given that we're on 20 episodes now and we're coming up on the next 10 or 20 episodes on the series season finale of season four. Um, can't believe I'm talking about it this early in, but by the time we get to August, September, we start rolling down the weeks and it starts getting to into the end of the show stuff. So Make sure to, you know, share the show, follow it on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and review it. And of course, if you do want to spend some money to support the show, or if you're just interested in doing this, you can buy merch. Again, I, I showed you the the joggers. Very nice, very high quality, all that, all these things I've been saying like four times throughout the show. Um, or if you want to buy my books, which if you're interested in reading them, they're uh, Broken, Ama- Bro- Broken America. Yes, Master, and MAGA, The Trump Experiment, that, which is the newest one that came out back in June. If you're interested in reading those, check them out. Um, again, shop section on my website. Thanks so much for listening in, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.